It's Tuesday, January the 25th. This is the Andrew Pearce Show, coming as ever from the Daily Mail Newsroom. Coming up, we're going to be talking about how all travel restrictions are going to be dropped from February the 11th at 4am if you're double jabbed. Really important for the travel industry. The changes to the highway code, which have irritated motorists, but cyclists say the changes are fair. Bizarre insurance claims, including the person who claimed on their insurance because they were bitten by their own false teeth. I'm not making it up. But first, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Meghan and Harry, two of most of us, they signed that major deal, if you recall, with Spotify for £18 million. But since then, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex have released only one podcast. And now the company is stepping in to bring in more in-house staff try and speed up the process. So Spotify, remember them? They announced an £18 million podcast deal with Harry and Meghan. It was over a year ago. Since then, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, as we still call them that, have released one and only one episode. Now the company is stepping in to make more and is even advertising for in-house staff to cover every step of the process. Joining me now is the Daily Mail's uh, very fine uh, scoop-getting royal editor, Rebecca English. Rebecca, they're obviously a bit fed up about this, aren't they, Spotify? Well, I think that's what we're all kind of putting two and two together and coming up probably with four on. Um, I mean, task your mind back to December 2020 in that kind of year that they first acrimoniously mm. pressed the nuclear button on there on mm. the departure from the royal family and it was one of their first big money getting gigs and they kind of launched it with this 33 minute yeah. holiday special featuring their great mates people like Sir Elton John Yawn. James Corden yeah. uh, we even had this very uh, private couple allowing their son Archie to say mm. his first public words um, and we were told that it would be a great new series in early 2021 and that has yet to materialise you know we've heard an announcement of a new kind of head of content being advertised they keep on telling people it's, it's coming soon it's coming soon and yet nothing and now we see Spotify advertising through their in-house uh, production team Gimlet for for production executives so who knows what's going on what and what sort of things were we expecting them to to do uh, their podcast on Rebecca? I mean they did the, they did their little travel jolly as you say with their celeb mates why else were they going to talk would you think they were going to be talking about the royal family inevitably well it makes you wonder what Spotify thought they were going to talk yeah. about as opposed to what Harry and Meghan thought they yeah. were going to talk about because as we kept saying at the time you know these companies don't pay out mega bucks if they not if they don't think they can get mega back basically yeah, yeah. Uh, and that is the the endlessly fascinating subject that is our royal family um yeah. you know they are globally talked about but of course harry and megan have made very clear that they want to do worthy um i think they announced the podcast deal saying that they were being signed up because they were citizens of the world that's right whatever that meant whatever that meant um yeah. and uh, certainly as regards the new positions they're talking about a series involving uh, you know inspiring women um, yeah. and they're going to elevate underrepresented voices exactly obviously very underrepresented <laughs> clearly but it just makes you wonder whether that's a bit of a one-trick pony because mm. can you keep on doing kind of worthy podcast off the worthy podcast yeah. the Obamas have proved that they can do it yeah. but you've got to ask yourself whether the Sussexes have the same clout as the Obamas they might I don't know but 
Uh, it is fascinating because also their charity. There was we were all arched our eyebrows about that a few weeks ago when it turned out they'd only raised was it something like thirty eight thousand pounds in two years for their charity. Your story, I remember. Yeah, not yeah. much no, when it, you consider their enabling power. As yeah. the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Yeah, exactly. And they launched at the same time as Archwell, the foundation. Mm. They launched Archwell Audio. They uh, launched their media branch. Obviously, they've got their deal with Netflix. So I, I thought at the time that they just seemed to be cutting themselves a bit thin. There was mm. the kind of excitement of, we're free, we're free, you know, yeah. we can crack you know crack on and secure all these deals you know and it was almost a bit of a kind of scattergun yes. approach actually maybe it's better to focus yourself on one and of course he's writing a thing. book as well which we think is coming out this year it is definitely coming out right. this year towards the end of the year well he won't be writing himself but he'll have to he work with writer. the author yeah he has a ghostwriter, and he says that it's going to be a full and frank account of his life right. um there's a few things i can think that might be uh, included in it that uh, a lot of us have wanted to write over a few years but legally haven't been able to and uh-huh. I suspect Harry will seize the narrative on that right. and uh, write it himself from his own perspective Can you give us a clue? Um, I can't no. <laughs> You can tell me afterwards when the tape's not yeah, running Exactly, when the lawyers aren't yeah, listening <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Just, just finally um, I mean, we don't see them we haven't seen them for a long time have we? Harry and Meghan. Um, Apart from the Christmas picture they yeah. they issued, which actually I thought was lovely. Yeah. Um, uh, no, we haven't really seen them. Um, maybe we seem to because, hear them from maybe them a lot. It's, maybe it's because they are beavering away on something for Spotify. But if you think if they were, Spotify might have given us a hint that it's coming, and clearly it isn't. Well, exactly. If they're still, it's still, if they're now advertising for executive producers, yeah. it means that they're not at that stage yet. They were, yeah. they're not at the stage to deliver the content. So it looks like it'll be much further into 2022 that we're going to see this. So fascinating. This couple are endlessly fascinating, uh, considering their private life. 18 million, wasn't it? And of course, they got all that money from Netflix too. Yes, what exactly. What are they doing for them? Yeah. Well, we haven't seen. Well, that I think actually there was a story around yesterday as well. I think. Um, Actually, my colleague Richard Eden wrote it, yeah. uh, in which he said that they're also advertising for people to get involved in the Pearl animated series about, guess what, inspiring historical women that Megan's doing for Netflix. I think you can see a bit of a theme here, Andrew. I think you can, yes. I think what they want over there is a bit of royalty and gossip and glamour, not underrepresented characters. Anyway, there we are. That is Rebecca English, who is our very fine royal editor here at the Daily Mail. Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pierce Show for free, in full, and our other podcasts and video series. Remember to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. So the highway code is changing and some motorists are not happy about it. They say it's giving even more rights to cyclists and pedestrians at their expense. A new hierarchy of road users mean drivers will have more responsibility for the safety of vulnerable road users and suggest cyclists should travel in the middle of the road in some circumstances. Duncan Dollimore is the head of campaigns for Cycling UK. So, Duncan, it's all about you cyclists, and the government seems to not like motorists at all. At least that's what some of the motoring organisations are saying. Well, I think there's been a bit of confusion about what the changes are, and the government haven't helped this, because despite the fact that I'm a big fan of the changes, uh, I haven't met anybody in road safety or anybody involved in any of the organisations who doesn't take the view that the government are missing in action when it comes to communicating what these changes are. So what's happened in the last week is everybody's picked up on somebody else's different version of what the changes are and what they mean, and it's led to a great deal of confusion. And one of the classic ones is this bit about cyclists riding... In the middle of the lane. The of the, 
of the, yeah. of the middle of the lane. Yeah. The truth of the matter is, uh, you may have done, as I did as a kid, what was called cycling proficiency as a, as I a child did. at school. I did. For the last 16 years, that's been the bikeability standard. And for the last 16 years, the government-backed the bikeability standard has advised cyclists to ride in the middle of the lane in certain circumstances. So the highway code, the, the advice to cyclists hasn't changed. All that's happened is that in the code, drivers are now being told why that advice is given to cyclists. Uh-huh. I get you. I get so you. what's happened, the, the plan was to try and diffuse the conflict on the road by explaining to drivers why cyclists might be in the middle of the lane. But of course, that required a communication exercise from the government, and that hasn't happened. So everybody's picked up on this as a new bit of change yes. advice to cyclists. I that's get not, you. That's actually misleading, and it's yeah. not really been particularly helpful. And the AA, they've said, haven't they, that 33% of drivers had no idea about any, that there was any, anything being written into the code, uh, new or otherwise. And even more bizarrely, 4% have no interest in finding out anyway. Well, the 4% should have more interest, but the 33% I have a degree of, uh, a significant degree of sympathy yeah. with, and we're entirely on, on board with the AA on this. The road safety organizations and user groups have been pressing the Department for Transport for an age for the need to have a clear communication campaign in advance. Mm. The government's position has been that we can't do this because the, the rules won't come in until Saturday. Right. Without boring you with the legality, there is a process by which a statutory instrument, which has been laid before Parliament, yep. can be challenged. The yep. last time that happened successfully in the House of Commons was 1979. Tens of thousands of statutory instruments have passed since then. So the chances of this not coming in when it was laid before Parliament in the beginning of, Jan- of December were fanciful. So the government should have been doing a, a, a comms campaign for two months on this. Do you think um, the Highway Code is does enough to uh, protect cyclists? Because I'm just looking um, at the number of cyclists who were killed or injured in the last year to June 2021. It's an astonishing figure. 4,700 were either seriously injured or injured and some killed in, in those 12 months. Well, I'll answer that in relation to all vulnerable road users, pedestrians, cyclists, yeah. horse riders, motorcyclists. Over recent years... It has statistically, and I know that's a horrible way to put it, but it statistically got safer on the roads to be inside a vehicle, a car or a lorry or whatever it is. We've made some improvements. Many would say, and I would agree, not enough, but we've made some improvements with their safety. We haven't done the same improvements with pedestrians, horse riders, cyclists, motorcyclists across the board. They've largely flatlined, and we haven't made that progress. So it isn't just about cyclists, because typically... Around 100 cyclists die on our roads every year. Uh, around 450 pedestrians die each year. So these rules were even more to protect pedestrians than they were cyclists. But no, we haven't done enough about vulnerable road users generally in recent years. And this is part of the change. But it's not enough just to create a new highway code. That's a start. It needs to be communicated, understood, and ultimately rules need to be enforced as well. You used to have a great champion of cycling in the former mayor of London, Boris Johnson, but after he became foreign secretary and now he's prime minister, you never see him on a push bike. I think he's got some, a few other little problems on his plate. I think he at has. Moment, Andrew, at the minute, to, I to think be he fair has. to him. But, uh, yeah. um, but yes, in London, he was a champion of these matters and he, was a champ- he has been in support of these highway code changes.
Right. And just finally, what about the site, the explosion in cycle uh, highways, particularly in major cities? London, there are so many. And the criticism often is, and you'll know this, Duncan, that a lot of the cycle lanes aren't used. And you often see cyclists on the pavement uh, 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 and going through red lights. Well, on the cycle lanes not being used, typically the reason for a cycle lane not being used is it isn't a particularly good one. Where right. you've got a good one that's separated and it's clear and it's the appropriate standard, they tend to be used. And that's why this new agency was introduced uh, that Chris Boardman is going to be leading Active Travel England. Yeah. That's supposed to be about making sure that the money that's spent on cycle lanes is spelt, spent well right. and that lanes are restricted to the right standard, regardless of whether, what your view is about how much money should be spent yeah. on it. I think most of us would agree that that which is spent should be well spent. Yes. And that's the purpose of this body, which is a good thing. All right, that's Duncan Dollymore, who is Head of Campaigns for Cycling UK. Thanks for joining us. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to our podcast, videos, opinion pieces and much more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. So Britons will no longer have to take a COVID test after returning to the UK within weeks, just in time for people travelling at half term. From 4am on February the 11th, the requirement to take a lateral flow test two days after getting back will be removed in a move that's been welcomed with open arms by the travel industry. I'm joined now by Sean Tipton, who's Media Relations Manager for ABTA, the Travel Association. Sean, this has been a long time coming. It certainly has, Andrew. I mean, we've been pandemics are going on for two years now, and we've been, had so many ups and downs through that period, more downs than ups, unfortunately. But in the last few months, we've actually had some really good news. Suddenly, first of all, the removal of the pre-departure test, which was coming back to the UK. That for us was the most significant test because the issue there was um, people were so worried about actually failing it and having to self-isolate overseas that they just put them off travel altogether, even though yeah. it was pretty small. It was the worry, really. But this is, you know, we're pretty much back to where we should be, certainly if you've been double vaccinated. So as of, as you said, from the 11th of February, you won't have to take any form of test once you get back to the UK. So that, that's really good news. I mean, as it stands, you still have to take a, a lateral flow test, which is cheaper than those ridiculously expensive PCR tests but it still yeah. is an extra expense so they're about 20 to 30 pounds on average so if you've got a family of four that's, that's adding 120 quid to your holiday isn't it really so so all yeah very very good news and certainly if you look at you know, i've been speaking to our members travel agents and tour yes, operators and in the last you. few weeks their, their business has gone through the roof and i must stress though through the roof starting from a very low base yes. but so we're not quite back to where we were obviously but I think, you know, if we keep on like this with improvements and, you know, making people able to not just obviously get back to the UK, but also other countries starting to lift their restrictions as well. Mm. It's looking pretty positive for this summer. It really is. And, 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 and what about people coming to Britain for holidays too, Sean? Are those yeah. bookings going to go up now because of this? Are they, is there already a sign they're coming up? They're going up already? I, I think yeah, they will, definitely. I mean, the, the biggest market for us in terms of long-haul travel is obviously the US. Yeah. And when they come to the UK, they spend a lot of money. I was in Glasgow over last summer, actually, and I was talking to a taxi driver, and he said, well, I said, who do you miss the most? And he said, well, it's great you've come up, but it's actually the Americans who miss the most. He was being very honest, because they yeah. spend the most money, bluntly. Mm. So, the, um, so the fact that they're not going to have to do tests if they've been double vaccinated is, is a big incentive for them to come because it's you know if you're coming from overseas you have to for the hassle of rearranging it with a british testing company because they'd have to go through officially recognized companies as well so that's not it's not exactly opening you know welcoming people to the uk so i think that's a very positive move and i, I i'm sure the um west end theater owners will be oh well, absolutely 
They'll be, jump, they'll be jumping for joy, won't exactly they? After this, exactly. And and this makes the point too, Sean, doesn't it? Um, uh, yeah. these, these these rules will only uh, th- th- there's no rules applying it, but you've got to be double jabbed. Is that right? Yeah, I think I think that's yeah. I'm very glad you've said that. I mean, I think there's so many restrictions with people travelling who haven't been vaccinated. I think, uh, to be fair, I, su- I suspect very few would even take the risk of taking foreign holiday. But now things are looking better for them as well. You're still going to have to take a pre-departure test. Yeah. Not ideal, but still. And also a t- test on day two once you arrive, but they no longer have to self-isolate or take yet another expensive PCR test on day eight. So I think it makes it basically much more affordable and practical for people who haven't been double vaccinated to travel as well. So that's good news. And I suspect more who are in that country will choose to do so. Let's not forget, it's not always about people not choosing to be vaccinated. No, there is that. That's true. That's yeah. true. So are you looking forward? Where are you going to go, Sean? Where are you going to celebrate going <laughs> without having all these onerous tests? Have well, you planned where you're going I, yet? I have, yeah. My, my girlfriend is actually very spontaneous and um, she, she's quite happy to get the drop of the hat. But I said, no, this year we're going to plan ahead. And there's a very simple reason for that. And I was quite right on that. I figured that as soon as restrictions were beginning to lift, which they very much are now, what's happening? The prices are going up. So of I course they are. Three, I booked three holidays already. So the first one's off to Germany, Hamburg next month. Then to Italy in March. Lovely. Hopefully, as it stands, you'll take a pre uh, you know, test before you get into Italy. I'll have listed it by then. But and one more, Greece in May. So seriously, and I'd recommend very strong if you haven't booked anywhere, uh, do it fairly soon. Very good advice. Will continue to rise. I think you're right. That's Sean Tipton, who's media relations manager for ABTA, the Travel Association. He's putting his money where his mouth is, and he's going to start travelling. So time now for our regular city update with Ruth Sunderland, who is the group business editor at the Daily Mail, a Mail on Sunday, a new title and richly deserved. Uh, Ruth, you've been talking about Unilever because of that rather botched attempt to do a takeover of GSK, the consumer health business. And now they're cutting 1500 jobs and there's a row about wokery. You know what I think about wokery. It drives me nuts. (laughs) Uh, absolutely. Yeah, so um, Unilever's really um, on the ropes at the moment. What they've said today is that they're going to simplify their management structure, which is very, very unwieldy and very cumbersome. And they're going to be cutting about 1,500 management jobs. So that's about 5% of the global workforce. It's not going to affect people on the shop floor in factories or anything like that. Um, but nonetheless, you know, that those are those are big um, big, big cuts. So just to give a bit of an idea of the scale of Unilever, they employ around 6,000 people in the UK and Ireland. So if you go proportionately, you know, that's 5%. I, I'm not sure my mental arithmetic is quick enough for that. But anyway, um, you know, there, there are going to be job losses here um, and around the world where Unilever's got, it, got its operations. So it's, it's reorganising itself around five different divisions and its strategy is going to be to to concentrate more on healthcare, personal care and beauty. Um, It's going to be selling off some of its operations, we we think. Getting rid of Ben and Jerry might be difficult because I think a lot of buyers would be a little bit put off by all the wokery attached to Ben and Jerry, as as you mentioned. Yes, absolutely. I mean, why don't they just stick to selling ice cream? (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think it's fantastic. I, I think what companies should do is to put their social values and their social conscience into practice by selling us good products at a good price, by treating their employees well, and by not overpaying their top executives and by being responsible 
citizens in corporate citizens in that way. And I think if they did all of that, they wouldn't go too far wrong. Um, unfortunately, most of them can't even manage that basic honesty and decency. Um, and yet they go on about wokery as if it was a smokescreen for, for all of that. You know, concentrate on selling us good value products and making a profit. And I think, you know, then, then you're covering your social conscience. And obviously don't pollute the environment and, and you know, and, and all these things that should be really common sense. Um, I don't think we need wokery for it, do we? I don't think we do, Ruth. Uh, and common sense is what you always talk. That is Ruth Sunderland, who is the group business editor at the Daily Mail and Mail on Sunday. Thanks for joining us. So what are the strangest insurance claims ever made? Well, Aviva Insurance has catalogued some of the weirdest claims to celebrate the company's 325th anniversary. I'm joined now by Anna Stone, who's group archivist at Aviva Insurance, and she can tell me all about it. Anna, um, you've been through the records to highlight some of the most interesting claims. The one that jumps out, of course, if you pardon the pun, is the sheep jumping through a shop window, which involved a payout of £20,000 adjusted for inflation. What was that all about? We don't often get the detail behind the claim, so that kind of thing would come through in a staff magazine. So all I know is the description that they put in the staff magazine, which was that a sheep ran into a showroom, leapt out through a window and disappeared. How extraordinary. Now, and, and, and there's other more down-to-earth ones. The claim for clothes ruined by liquid manure after a farm worker carrying sheep metal was lifted by strong wind and dumped into a silo. You couldn't make it up. No, no. And you, you just feel so sorry for them. When you, when you read these claims, you want to laugh, but also you think, oh, that poor person. Yeah, yeah. And you paint other vivid images. The fire at a Scottish whisky distillery, which led to rivers of flaming alcohol running down the street. That's heartbreaking, particularly for whisky drinkers. <laughs> yes, in, indeed. Indeed, it would have been. But I mean, an amazing, an amazing image that, that you can conjure up when you, when you read these descriptions. Yeah, and um, of course, sometimes it's deadly serious. I mean, we're chuckling about these, but of course, Aviva paid out when the great train robbery took place. That was back in 1963. Um, uh, and the equivalent today, Anna, I think it would uh, you'd have been paying out about £59 million. Yes, I mean, it, it is amazing how, how the figures add up. And you, you never think of, of insurance really being involved in those kind of historic events so we also paid out on things like the titanic as well did you and, really um, yes we did yes so we, you had to, was that for people who were individually insured or, or was it the was it was it the people who owned owned the the, the, the ship we paid out on the hull of the ship and also on individual passengers and members of the crew and also, um, like in the Great Train Robbery, also on some of the securities that were being carried in the post on the ship. Extraordinary. And have insurance claims changed much over the years, Anna? Well, you've been going through these records. Um, they're, they're pretty similar all the way through. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of animal claims, so... Um, sort of all the way through you get things um animals eating things so you've got um horses eating pocket watches out of people's coats How or funny. eating the eating the top of soft top cars as well that's a kind of a oh, quite a regular wow. one <laughs> yeah that would be deeply unpopular with certain people wouldn't it and um and well and of course you've got you add your sheep to that one of course the sheep jumping through the window um and what about um this one um the um you paid 
over the delay caused by a fishmonger's van which was caught up in the siege at the Libyan embassy. That was in 1984. Yes, yes. Again, amazing. And, and I guess the side of a historical event like that that you, that you don't really think about. But apparently, if you look at photographs from, from the siege, you can see that that um, van is often in shot. Yes. And it was just, it was just too close for, for them to move it out of the way and by the time they, they had access again obviously the contents had rotted and and the van was a write-off i'd say it must have stank to high heaven because that siege went on for quite a long time didn't it yep it did indeed yeah and now do, do all insurance companies have archivists anna quite a number of them do yes there there are a few of us around we tend to to keep in touch with each other when i started as an insurance archivist um the sort of more experienced insurance archivist helped me out and, and uh, gave me advice on how to catalogue the different records. And, and right. then as, as I've sort of got more experience, I've helped out newer archivists as they've come on. And is it all on microfilch or, or, or are these all records kept in dusty old files and boxes? I don't like to think of them as being dusty. We keep them very ah. clean, actually, <laughs> because we want them to survive for a long time. But yeah. they, are most, they are mostly, yes, on, on, on paper records. Right. And um, kept, kept in our archive, but, but very clean, not and, at all dusty. And secure and under lock and key. And I just, we just must end with this fine one, which we love. Uh, the unlucky dentist who was kicked, this is 1961, a very significant year, it was the year I was born, um, from an unlucky dentist kicked out of a window by a patient coming round from an anaesthetic. I love that story. It is. It is lovely, isn't it? We've got a. We've got another one where a surgeon was bitten by a patient as he was checking in his mouth, and there there is even a claim for somebody who was bitten by his own set of false teeth, which he was oh. keeping in his hip pocket. No. Yeah. How, how much did you have to pay him or her? I don't know. How, I don't know how much we paid for it, but yes, it was a the personal accident. They they bit themselves with their own false teeth. That must be a first, I would think, don't you? <laughs> Quite unusual, although we've got uh, we've got a few false teeth claims in in the record. Right. Okay. Well, I'm hoping that never applies to me because so far I've still got all my own teeth, Anna. Anna, what a lovely story. Um, happy anniversary to um, Aviva, 325 years old. Does that make you one of our oldest insurance companies? It it does. Yes, it makes it makes us one of one of the oldest, certainly. Well, um, and happy anniversary. You've got a great reputation and a great name, and thank you for joining us. That's Anna Stone, who is the group archivist at Aviva Insurance. Thanks for coming on. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, you can download the Mail Plus app every weekday at 5pm. Listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. I'll be back tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night. Good night.